Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross and Jim. Tonight's episode 12, titled Jaeger Bombs and Stark Vegas, because we got star second baseman from the defending national champions, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Mr. R.J. Jaeger, joining us, man. It's... uh. Another great episode, a great, you know, story from a guy that, you know, we were blessed to get very last minute, but dude, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to him. I want to jump into it and I'm ready to talk some college baseball. So help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, Mississippi State second baseman, RJ Yeager. RJ, my man, how we doing tonight? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, uh, it's about time. Uh, we're 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 talking. You know, the defending national champions are back in the house with us. It's uh, we're very we're very blessed to have you, man. But you know, before we get into your story, I, I gotta ask. So there's a there's a hashtag that's trending. I don't know if you're familiar, but it, it's hashtag Jaeger bombs, and I feel like you have created the the jaeger bomb you brought it back because i know when jim and i were college like that was a a drink of choice people actually willingly like drank those so my question (laughs) to you is before we get into this is that still a thing or is that just kind of a nickname that was given or do people actually like still like go up to the bar and order jaeger bombs (laughs) so so yeah i got that uh i got that nickname uh a while back at uh at mercer and Man, it, it stuck with me. Uh, I think it's hilarious. And, you know, I guess uh, after a while, you know, I guess we kind of brought some Jaeger bombs back. You know, I see I see every uh, a couple guys drinking them every now and then. So uh, it's it's funny. It's a it's a good uh, it's a good time. Daniel, yes. it was one of those drinks that was good back in the day. Have you tried it any time recently? I, I think I've I think I would vomit. Yeah, literally. it's literally. It's I, I think. <laughs> I mean, just the thought of it right now makes my mouth water and like my. Uh. If you were if you were watching a Mississippi State game and RJ hit one, would you drink one? Uh, no, I love you, RJ, <laughs> but no, no, I'm not going that route. Yeah, I'll take a water bomb. Let <laughs> me get one of them. Um, you know, we we're talking about things that are that are in and out. Obviously, Jim Jim and I are much older than you, and you know we've we've been around a time or two, but. It looks as though this stash that you're rocking these days, you're bringing it back, man. I'm seeing all the guys, you know, with their various, you know, styles and forms of mustaches and beards. So uh, let, let me ask you, is this a trending thing? Did you start this or is this just you kind of molding the mustache into your own little fit? Yeah, man. So mine, mine's still a uh, blonde. I can't, I can't get the, I can't get it dark, but, uh, you know, it kind of it kind of started off as a joke or whatever, and uh, yeah, we we have a couple guys on the team with them. Uh, we just look look at it as uh, you know having fun out there. You know, uh, we had we, my teammate last weekend at uh, we were playing Georgia. Mikey Tepper uh, sh- shaved his head one night just out of the blue, so uh, we we try to uh, shake it up every now and then. So at, at what point in the season, like? 
you got to go into a slump or you got to be on a big high or you got to, you know, lose some games. What, what would have to happen where you say, you know what, I got to shave this and I got to start over. Yeah. Uh, probably, probably a slump or losing, losing a couple uh, consecutive games. I would definitely shave it off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's time you throw a little, a little eye black in it, you know, darken it up, you know, make it, make yeah. it look a little, a little older, a little more sophisticated. <laughs> You know, yeah, I might have to, man, because I, I can't do it. I can't. I just can't. But I mean, you could you could be the distinguished gentleman of the infield for you guys. Like that could be your thing. Uh, I'm willing to bet Cameron can't grow facial hair. Oh, I know. And I and I, you know what? Lane probably can't either while I'm on it. So and then Hancock obviously does have the facial hair. He's actually the distinguished gentleman. Yeah, Luke does. Luke's got a, a full blown beard. So uh, he's got us all beat uh, uh, from that end. Well, RJ, man, let's let's get into this, man. Our 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 listeners are excited to have you on, but you know, obviously, we got to go back. We we need to get some backstory on, on you and you know where you're from and where you grew up. Um, so where is it? Where where are you from? Talk to us a little bit about you know growing up where you did. Yeah, so I'm from Panama City, Florida. Um, grew up there. Uh, started playing, uh, shoot, t-ball and. You know, start got into the uh, travel ball scene, and uh, way back then, you know, my dad was, my dad was the coach, and uh, we had a bunch of local players. And man, it's kind of crazy looking back at all the teams like we we had and all the people we played against. Man, like a bunch of them are on D one rosters. A couple of them are playing pro ball right now. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we had a good little good little team in a, in a small area in the panhandle of Florida. So, I mean, these guys on T-ball end up getting drafted and playing in pro ball. Like what kind of T-ball team are you got? Y'all just whooping up on everybody. They, they didn't have a field big enough for y'all, I bet. Nah, man, we had a bunch of, uh, we had a, we had a tight group ever since I can remember. Um, and we kind of stayed together. That same group kind of stayed together, uh, all throughout. And that's probably why we, we were, uh, well, I was a 10 or nine or 10 year old kid. And I thought we were really, really good, you know? Um, so yeah, it was just a tight group. It was cool. Better, better check them birth certificates. I bet, I bet other teams' parents were hot. Like, <laughs> come in here with these, these guys, man, they, they gotta be teenagers. Uh, but, yeah. but, but man, you mentioned your dad, man. He played, you know, Gulf Coast State College. He was drafted out of high school um, by the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. um, man, yeah. what, what is that like? Is there, is there pressure that's put on to kind of, you know, as, as you realize, well, I'm going to go into this baseball route, knowing that your dad had success at that level, is there pressure or is it just, you know, he's just supportive of whatever it is that you're doing? Man, I wouldn't really say pressure, but uh, man, he's instilled so many uh, qualities that I have, uh, just hard work, taught me how to work hard. Um, I can remember you know, high school days, I was just a, you know, scrawniest kid. Um, didn't really grow until I was kind of a late bloomer. And, uh, you know, me and him were, me, him, and my mom, actually, we were in the gym early in the morning before school. And uh, just stuff like that, man. He, he really taught me how to work hard. And, you know, talent can only, can only take you so far. So, um, yeah, he taught me so much. And having him as, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, uh, just 
everything that he knew about the game really helped me and a uh, big factor um, that I'm here where I am today. Was, was he your coach or was he the guy that you would go to after the games where you were like, I need, you know, give me the real, like, how did I do? Yeah, well, he, he was, uh, he was both really uh, for a while until about, let's see, I was about 12 or 13 where he quit coaching me and then he was kind of the guy, you know, he'd get in your tail if you sucked or he was going <laughs> to let you know. Uh, but he'd also praise you when you did good. Um, and base, baseball, y'all know baseball is crazy. Uh, you'll have your highs and you'll have your lows, but um, just having somebody to keep you level-headed was uh, what he was for sure. Hey, baseball, baseball is a game that'll that'll eat you alive if you let it, man. It's uh, oh yeah, it's it's a game that I tell tell guys like it's impossible to master the game of baseball. You can be great and you can be really good, but I don't think you ever master the game fully just because of the highs and lows that you mentioned. Um, but, you know, with your dad being the influence that he was and, you know, being a hotbed for, for baseball and, and having a lot of kids, you know, your age that you stuck with and you moved with, was baseball the only sport or did you guys branch out with other sports growing up? Um, yeah, you know, I, I played, you know, peewee football and all that good stuff, middle school football. Uh, but once I got, once I entered high school, you know, the summer ball thing started going and it got like a little bit more, uh, baseball was more like a year round thing. And so uh, most of the people that, you know, decided they were going to try to play, play ball for as long as they could, uh, just did that. And, you know, we had the summer ball teams um, I ended up I was playing I ended up playing with team elite uh, my junior let's see my junior year of uh, high school and that's kind of when I uh, got the opportunity to play at Mercer. Nice so you mentioned high school and you know you, you, the travel ball so where did you go to high school and was high school a big factor as far as preparing you for the next level or was that just travel ball? Yeah, so uh, I went to high school at Mosley, Mosley High School. It's in Lynn Haven, Florida, and uh, had a great, great program. Uh, they, I think when I got there, they had one state championship. Um, we didn't ever win it when I was there, but we made, this, uh, we made the state championship, I think, three times and lost to the same team each time. It mm -hmm. was uh, Archbishop McCarthy. I remember it like it was yesterday. And them dudes, they... they it, it, those dudes weren't even fair. I I used to live down in Fort Lauderdale, dude, and those oh, dudes man. were legit. I'm they telling were. you, like, it was private school. You had, like, pro baseball player, ex-pro baseball players coaching, and, like, it was like they were dumping money into the team, and, those, like, players were coming out of the woodworks, and, like, it, it was ridiculous. But, yeah, they, they were they were pretty damn good. It was crazy. Yeah. So actually uh, the year or let's see, two or three years after I graduated, they ended up finally beating them. So finally, long time coming. I mean, you, you, you mentioned it yourself, like obviously no state championships, but I mean, plenty of accolades, um, team captain as a junior and a senior, your name team MVP as a senior in 2017. You batted 400, six home runs, 28 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, all district honors, all region, all state honors. I mean, you even had 
had time on top of all that to do it in the classroom too, where you graduated with a 3.9 GPA, man. How do you, looking back on it, was it, was it easy for you or was it, you know, obviously you mentioned there's a lot of hard work that went into it, but you know, how, what was the grind like or was it, or were you just someone who like, you know, I just worked hard and the results came because I put in the work. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, I worked hard on the, on the baseball field, obviously, but you know, at the same time you have to, you have to get in the school part too. I know it sounds terrible, but uh, yeah, I got, so I wasn't, like I said, I was kind of a late bloomer, so I didn't really catch my stride until like my last high, half of uh, high school. And so my first year, I didn't, I didn't play varsity. Well, I was up there, but I never played. Um, played JV, and then the last half of the varsity season, whatever. Uh, my sophomore year, I was kind of, I was kind of playing, kind of not. And then uh, my junior year, I finally, you know took that hard work and put it on the field and uh, made good use of it and uh, kind of got on a roll and uh, didn't really look back. So, you, you know, high school ball, and I ask, I like to ask all of the guys we, we bring on this question because it, it's, there's a trend that's starting to develop and it, it probably developed, you know, as right as my you know, graduating class started moving into college, there became this shift from the emphasis of what you did in high school to what you did over the summer and even in fall leagues for travel baseball. Um, so you played with Team Elite Prime. Um, you know, was that what put you on college radars or had, had you had already been seen through the high school? Like, what was your perspective from, you know, actually getting attention from college? Yeah, so I think high school, um, I think high school got me some attention, but uh, the summer ball and playing with Team Elite and being in front of all those uh, college coaches, you know, consistently over, you know, a month or two, whatever it was, I think that's what did it because um, I don't think Mercer would have saw me in, uh, in Florida. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of contribute that to this, this summer ball, honestly. And there's, I hear people debating about it all the time, you know, should high school ball or summer ball. And honestly, like they, they're, they're different, but you, you know, you honor, you got to honor them both at the same time. Uh, I do what's best for you and your future. And yeah, I think, uh, I credit that one to summer ball for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the, what it boils down to is when you're playing high school baseball, you're one of many, many, many players playing many high schools around the country. It's extremely hard for coaches to go everywhere. It's a lot easier in the summer to get nine or 10 guys in one area that they want to see on a given weekend. So yeah. I mean, I, I can see where, you know, high school ball becomes, you know, it's, it's an important thing to establish your commitment, your team aspect, you know, that you're showing growth and improvement. But I also know that the reality is, is that, you know, summer ball, the level of talent that you're playing with and traveling with and going to allows coaches to go to one central location and see guys either stand out and validate who they want 
or allows people a chance to be seen by people who may not necessarily, you know, in Panama City get a chance to be seen by schools like Mercer. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I get where you're coming from, and it's a, it's a great thing to be able to have that that avenue. Um, when did colleges start approaching you? Was it your junior year, or you know, you, you mentioned you know your back half in high school is when you started kind of you know hitting your stride. So was it your junior year or senior year where where colleges started going? All right, we need to look at RJ. Like he he's he's a prospect on our radar. Yeah, it was probably not until my um, junior summer, I would say. Yes, it was uh, a little bit later for me. Um, and then I ended up committing to Mercer before the start of my senior year uh, and before the spring season. What were the – just give me the top three schools that, you know, between, you know, your your junior summer and – the time that you committed to Mercer, what were the top three that you were, you were, you know, really weighing the options of going to? Yeah. So Mercer was my first offer actually. And I, uh, I literally talked to a coach. Um, let's see. We were actually at a tournament up there in Atlanta. Talked to the coaches. Like, hey man, swing by, uh, on your way back. And I swung by and it, Loved it, whatever. It was a, you know, a smaller school, but a great program, whatever. And uh, I thought I'd have a chance to play right away. So I went ahead and committed on the spot. You know, that's, uh, there's a lot to be said about that. Because obviously, if you're, if you're garnering attention from Mercer, you could probably garner attention from a lot of schools. And, you know, was it that they were the first ones to the dance and you were like, you know, I just want to, you know, alleviate, not pressure, but take this one thing that I know that I can control in this very moment. And now I can just have fun and kind of enjoy the rest of this next season. Or was it, was there something special about Mercer when you showed up where you're like, you know, this, this is me, this is where I belong. Yeah. So I think, uh, I tell people all the time, like, you look, you got to look for the right fit for you at the time. And that's what I saw in uh, making Georgia. And, you know, the, the playing situation just happened to work out good. You know, a bunch of senior infielders just left. Um, and so that kind of, that kind of drew me a little bit and the academics there were awesome. So uh, that also, that also drew me in. And I just liked how, you know, uh, they were, I think they were building a new, building a new stadium at the time. Um, so just exciting stuff like that. And I wasn't, I wanted, I wanted to play. Uh, so it was either going to be there like a junior college somewhere, you know, and uh, yeah, everything just, the stars kind of aligned and, you know, I just felt right. You know, it's funny you said something about making Georgia because I am very familiar with Mercer. Um, anybody who's familiar with sports um, is familiar with, with Mercer University, but I actually did not know exactly where it was located. So, RJ, I got to ask you, if I was to poll like 100 people, even if they're sports fans, how many of them would actually know that it's in Georgia? Not many. <laughs> I, I know, man. It's a, it's a very popular school, but I was like, I don't even know where Mercer is. So when I was researching this episode, I was like, I had to look it up. And I was like, I wonder how many people would know that. So, 
you know, you get there. What are the emotions like? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Both? What's going on? Yeah, so I get there. I'm I'm super uh, I'm super excited. You know, I know there's a uh, a big opportunity for me. Um, we had a let's see, we had a couple infielders come in, um, a couple junior college infielders come in, and they actually. Uh, long story short, it's a couple of them ended up being uh, some of my best friends. But yeah, I had a uh, a good opportunity. I knew if I came in there and played well. Uh, I would win the job and um, everything would end up working out fine in which it did. Uh, but yeah, I was nervous, especially, you know, uh, the first first college game is it, it was really nerve wracking. But, you know, it just takes time after a while, you know, it kind of calms down. Yeah, we haven't had too many guys who came on here and actually didn't say they weren't nervous. I mean, when you get on that field, it's a it's a whole different thing, especially when you got these college stadiums with way more fans than you ever had. And you like you said, travel or high school ball. But uh, like you said, you you hit the the ground running, man. Started all 60 games freshman year at shortstop. Name uh, SOCOM freshman of the year by uh, the league coaches. Ranked third on the team with a 324 batting average. Uh, tallied 74 hits, six home runs, 53 runs, 42 RBIs, six stolen bases. I mean, all these stats, you know, uh, before we get into specific moments and games from that season, I just want to ask, like, I mean, with numbers like that, did you meet your expectations you kind of set for yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, that freshman year season was, was uh, amazing. I can't even – the people – and not even like the stats, man, the people I met, um, you know, developing that competitive drive, I guess you could say, um, that really came out. And I think my freshman year actually started pretty, pretty bad. I think I was hitting like a hundred something. And uh, I think uh, it was a Kansas State series. We were away at Kansas State and I finally got it going. And uh, that was just like kind of a point where I was like, all right, like let's let's do it. let's do it. You you pulled that current current Kellen Clark treatment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, the rest is history. But yeah, it was a good it was a good year for sure. Well, some of the moments I want to talk about first. You know, uh, you know, walk off home run against Furman. You know, what are the emotions like as a freshman, especially? You know, to have a, a big time moment like that with a walk off. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, it was actually at home, so that made it a little bit more special. Um, my parents were there, so it was it was really cool. Um, we didn't we didn't have like no crazy crowds like the dude has now. I will say, but you know, it was still it still fired me up. You know, it's uh, I was my first year there, and I felt like you know finally contributing to the team and you know doing doing what I can to help help us win. Well, speaking of contributing, let me tell you, uh, before I, I start about this next one, me and Daniel and our other host, Randy, we absolutely despise the University of Florida. So when I looked and saw that you uh, you had a two-run bomb that helped knock off number one Florida, what was that like for your team and uh, being able to, as Mercer, knock off the number one team in the country like that? Yeah, that was probably uh, one of my best memories at Mercer, I, I would say, for sure. Um, yeah, they were number one in the country at the time. Um, had a bunch of good arms thrown against us, uh, a bunch of good players. Um, yeah, it was it was a crazy it was a crazy night. And you know, once I hit that 
once I hit that home run out of here, I was like, you know, we got we got a chance to pull off something really cool. And uh, I'm sure everybody on that team will remember that one for a while. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, probably a, a moment, like you said, freshman year that you'll remember forever. But, you know, you go into sophomore season. Once again, you started all 64 games at shortstop. You earned also con second team accolades. But one of the things I noticed, instead of reading all the stats, um, you know, you batted 253, you know, the, the previous season, obviously, you know, much higher batting average. What what happened that caused the struggles of the play? Were you just not seeing it well? Um, you maybe have some injuries. What was going on uh, sophomore season? Yeah, so my sophomore year, I, I started off, uh, like, really, really hot. And I was hitting – that's when I, I first started, you know, really – developing some power and feeling like feeling like I was like a home run hitter or something and man I just I think we started out and I had like six six home runs in like seven or eight games or something crazy like that and just I just felt like I got I got too big uh, my swing I felt just like I got long and looking back at it you know I was like like man like I wish I could go back and redo that but, you know, that's baseball, man. I had a, uh, yeah, I had a down year coming off of uh, the good freshman year. Um, but, you know, it is, is what it is now. I mean, the um, overall but, stats were pretty solid. It was just the batting average. And, and I know for a guy like you, you know, that's very important more than anything. So I was, I was pretty confident that you were unhappy with the way it took that dip from freshman to sophomore year and I appreciate you know being open and honest on, on what happened man started trying to hit those bombs too much <laughs> I know I know so junior year was unfortunately cut by COVID you know we've talked to so many athletes uh just about what that emotion was like you know what was it like uh you know having coach or however it came down the pipe you know come in and tell y'all that you know baseball had been pulled away from you yeah, man, that was, that was crazy. We had a uh, – there was a couple, you know, we heard here and there, you know, oh, they might cancel the season. It's like, man, they're not going to cancel the season. Come on. And, like, we go out to practice. Uh, we have practice and we're hitting BP or whatever and uh, coach calls us all in the dugout. But she doesn't usually do that. We usually meet on the, on the mound, just say a couple words, and then we get out of there. And I knew right when he caught us in the dugout to take a seat, I was like, oh, my gosh. And sure enough, yeah, we got canceled. And let's see, it was a, it was a rough day because there were some, you know, fifth-year senior guys, and they didn't know what they were going to do. You know, they're sitting there like, I don't even know whether – I don't even think they could really even be – not sad, but like, I guess – yeah, I guess sad. Because that, that's their last time playing college baseball, you know? And so, uh, it's so unlike, it's never happened. And it's such a, a thing. It's almost unbelievable. And it's probably hard to process because you can't never in your, you know, you've, you've been rained out. You've been snowed out. Probably you've had all types of, you know, even up to the point of maybe like hurricane issues, traveling, like you've had a lot of different things cancel games, but you've never had this thing that impacted so many people just shut down an entire season. Yeah, exactly. And you got to think like that would have been, that would have been my uh, year eligible for the draft. I mean, countless people, not just me, like so many people, it, it just affected so many people and 
like you said, we weren't familiar. We didn't know what the heck was going on. Like really hard to process, but you know, you end up working through it and uh, good things have happened from it, I guess so. So. Yeah. Well, you said that you said the main thing that we get from a lot of guests, um, you know, because most of the guys we've or I don't think we've talked to any guys who were seniors during that. So um, that's usually the first thing that comes off is exactly what you said, thinking about those guys that, you know, man, they're they're put in a really tough position and um, they definitely take the worst of it, no doubt. But nonetheless, you know, we get through it. Um, your senior season, which, uh, you know, in theory, isn't really your senior season. Um, it's just labeled that way. Um, started all 57 games, got that batting average back up to 308, um, 13 home runs, which was, was the new high, 17 doubles, um, drove in 50 RBIs, 49 runs, posted an on-base percentage of uh, 363 with a 564 slugging percentage. So it seems you got everything back in course. Maybe uh, you did hit more bombs, but maybe you weren't necessarily trying. Um, you know, talk us through uh, what you did to get things right and just talk us about, you know, that final season of Mercer, that team, and um, being able to to play again after that that whole COVID situation. Yeah, it was good to get uh, everybody back together. Man, that was, uh, it was a long time without them. Uh, so we had – everybody was working over the break, you know, but we weren't, we weren't really together. And then uh, finally the start of that year, um, I feel like – I feel like the – the pre-spring and the fall, everybody was just working a little bit harder. Like everybody always worked hard, but I just feel like it was just a little bit more grind and people enjoyed the grind more. Mm-hmm. I feel like that goes um, unnoticed, but when you have that feeling that it can be taken away from you that quick, it's like, like we're not we're not taking a day for granted, right? So... I feel like that's what that team was about. And we had a bunch of good players, man. Everybody was, I feel like everybody pushed each other too. Like, you know, we had great friendships and uh, great, great players. And like you said, I had a great year. I had a, a bunch of career highs my last year at Mercer. So it was just an awesome, awesome year. Like can't, can't complain about that. So how does it come about, you know, Mercer to Mississippi State. What does that process look like? Yeah, so after um, after my year at Mercer, I thought I I put up numbers that I thought I was comfortable with um, entering the draft. I thought I had a chance to get drafted, and I thought I would be able to uh, once once the draft happened. I thought I'd be gone out of there, whatever. And then draft day comes and no call, whatever. And so I'm kind of crushed. I'm like, dang, man, like, okay, all right, well, what are we going to do now? And I, I love Mercer. I had a great time there. Great time. But I feel like for this last year, I wanted to, I wanted to try something different and uh, be in a bigger crowd, be on a bigger stage and, you know, kind of prove, kind of prove everyone, that didn't take me wrong, you know, like kind of have that little uh, stuff in my neck, I guess. And uh, that's when I decided, you know, it was a tough decision. I was going to enter the transfer portal. It was a super tough decision. I I delayed that phone call to my head coach at Mercer for a while. But it's, it's, but it's like you said, um, if I, if I read it correctly, y'all didn't go to the postseason at any point uh, in Mercer, right? Well, we did. We did my uh, sophomore year, twenty nineteen. 
Okay. And so, you know, a team that's – you're going from a team, and like you said, it's, it's not throwing shade at Mercer and you love it there, but you're going to a team that is a, a perennial Omaha team currently and defending national champs. So, I mean, did that play a role um, in why you chose Mississippi State? Because this is a team and a program that has the highest of expectations. Absolutely. Yeah, that's my, uh, that's my sole goal for this year. I don't really care about the, the numbers, the stats, whatever. However I can help this team win, that's, that's the goal because that's, that's the reason I came here, man. Uh, watching those guys uh, compete in Omaha and win it, like, man, that was awesome. So I just liked the way they played and um, had some good schools. And I, just, I was just drawn into Mississippi State. Coaches are awesome. And, man, you can't beat the dude in this fan base. So uh, really fortunate to be able to uh, be here. Yeah, no, I, and I was fortunate enough to be like a kind of like, I guess you call it a bandwagon fan if you want. Uh, I'm an LSU fan, but I've watched Cameron and Kate all through high school. I'm tight with their families. That's, you know, that's why I ended up going all the time with, with Cameron's family. And then next thing you know, they're telling me to come to Omaha. And I'm there for the whole ride, me and my son. And, like, we, we were all about it. And now he's actually abandoned LSU outright. Daniel will tell you, he is Mississippi State through and through. Cameron James is the world to him. And, uh, you know, he's got that cowbell that's up there behind me, especially made by the Bellsmith. Like, uh, it, it's all about it. So, uh, uh, we, get, we got to be along for the ride. Mississippi State, like you said, they were dogs. They were grinders. Um, last year was so fun. And, and that's why, you know, this year the, the expectations uh, – it's tough, you know, uh, you got the target on your back. Um, you know, everybody wants to give you their best shot because you're the defending national champion. Um, but you mentioned, you know, playing in a place like Mercer and then playing at the dude. Like, what was it like that first game, um, you know, and what's, you know, considered to be the Carnegie Hall of Baseball, like being in that atmosphere? Man, it's awesome. Uh, I, I really don't think you can explain it. I've, I've tried to explain it to uh, – couple of my friends back home but until you actually step foot in that place you can't explain it yeah there's so much momentum created and um like even for example the you know the past two walk-offs that we've had I mean that is I mean almost credited to the to the whole fan base because that place was rocking and rolling and I couldn't imagine coming in here as another team and uh being in that atmosphere so yeah, it's tough to explain, but very, very awesome place to play. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife has been to Swayze, and so when you saw her yesterday with me, that was her first time at the dude. And I wish it could have been on a Friday or Saturday night, but nonetheless, the stadium is still the same, and it still had a great Sunday crowd. But she walked in there and started walking around and was like, yeah, they're not even comparable. And, and I was like, that's, that's what Mississippi State has done here in Starkville. I mean, I said they have set themselves up a tier above everyone else when you talk about their facility. So um, just I couldn't imagine what it's like. I, as somebody who spectates, I couldn't imagine what it's like being out there on that field and, uh, you know, looking out at them. But with that, you know, on the season, um, pretty solid so far, 296, six home runs, 21 RBIs, 15 runs. Um, you know, how are you feeling about your production so far? I'm feeling good. Um, I'm feeling like I'm, you know, I was off to a little slow start um, in the first couple series, but now I kind of started getting going a little bit. And, you know, I, I think everybody on our team can get a little bit better and um, hopefully have high hopes for the rest of the year. 
Yeah, I feel like y'all, a lot of y'all got on track at the same time because y'all, for the most part, had slow starts. I mean, let's call it what it is, you know, that, yeah. and that's why y'all took uh, some tough losses. But, um, you know, four or five of y'all got hot real quick, and then that's why y'all start putting up some big numbers on the scoreboard, obviously. Um, you know, what do you feel like uh, you need to do to improve the most, you know, personally? What is it about your game, you know, whether it's defensively, offensively, and if it is offensively, what is it about your approach that you maybe need to, to work on the most? Yeah, so defensively, defensively, we're pretty solid. We're a pretty solid team right now. Um, we got, you know, we do we do the shifts and all that good stuff. So uh, our coaches do their homework on everybody that we play. So we're, we're going all over the place. I'll be playing on one side of second base. I'll be playing on the other side the next next batter but uh defensively we're a pretty dang solid team and uh offensively um we as a whole group have have kind of gotten uh rolling a little bit a little bit more here lately than we have been and uh man I could just I could say all kinds of things I need to improve on but ultimately just being on base yeah um, we have so many we have so many good players in our lineup that can uh change the game with one swing and so just just being on base uh, for those guys in front or behind me and in front of me and um, just get some run production any way we can. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, you talked about just getting on base and uh, you talked about the shift. So our last guest was Zane Denton and he talked about the importance of uh, that's one of the cool things about doing these interviews. Right. He talked about the importance of batting average and getting on base than home runs and y'all did this shift with two outs and he dropped that bump perfectly down the third baseline and yeah. got on and it was funny because I was reading the Twitter as it's done they're like why is their best hitter laying down bunts and it's because we just talked to the kid the kid isn't worried he was he wanted to get on base and he saw an opportunity and man that I know you saw that bunt obviously real time up close to first. that thing was laid down perfect and I was like if you, hey, if you could do it like that go on ahead and do it yeah tip the cap Tip the cap. That was a perfect bunt. So with that series, you know, you talk about a first home series and the dude absolutely rocking electric, like you said, um, two walk-offs. But the first one was via you, walk-off homer. Man, walk me through the process from the at-bat all the way to them ripping your shirt off. Yeah, so uh, let's see. It was the bottom of the tent. Uh, our leadoff guy just got out. And uh, so I came up, I came up to bat, and uh, this guy – this guy we were facing had a good fastball, really good fastball and uh, a good breaker too. But I thought he, I th I'm sitting fastball. I'm always sitting the heater and just kind of reacting. And uh, so it was actually the first pitch of the, a the uh, AB and I see a, uh, a curveball pop out a little bit of his hand. And I figured if I could sink into my legs and get, you know, get a good swing off, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so I saw it up a little bit and kind of sunk in my legs and trying to hit something hard up the middle. And it just got up in the air a little bit. And uh, the I rest mean, and an oppo shot, too. I mean, that has to make it even better. Right. Oh, yeah. And I don't I don't do the oppo, the oppo tacos every day. So it, it was uh, it was cool, man, to see rounding those bases. I, I tell I was telling everybody, I was like, man, I really don't know what just happened. I'm so I was screaming. I. I, hey, yeah. how hard you threw that helmet down showed how jacked you were. That helmet broke, I'm telling you. Yeah, some stickers fell off. The SEC sticker fell off, and uh, our equipment manager had to had to super glue or paint some stuff back on the helmet. So 
yeah, I, I, I chunked that straight into the ground, but man, seeing, seeing all those people, uh, standing up and just going crazy. It was, it was just contagious. It was, it was wild. Did, uh, for the, I mentioned the shirt rip off. Is, is that something that you tried to prevent or you just let it, you let it go? Man, I, I don't think I could prevent about 20 of them trying to rip it off. <laughs> it was just happening. It's just, it just happening. easier to take it. Just, just, just yeah. take it. It'll be over faster. Well, yeah. I, I noticed I noticed RJ had abs. So I mean, if you got abs, just let them do it now. If you if you <laughs> if you got a little stomach that you maybe don't want to show, maybe you you try to run and get away. So he was he was able to let that fly. But you know, obviously, y'all got that series. Sunday didn't go well. Um, you know what, RJ, I'm gonna come on. I'm gonna come on this episode and tell you that I did. Uh, uh, I don't even know if I've told Daniel yet. Uh, unforgivable sin in baseball. So I told you I've watched Kate Smith since his junior year. I actually said out loud Saturday in regards to going to the game when I was talking with a group of people, I was like, I've never seen Kate Smith lose. And so I was talking with his parents the next day uh, after they lost, and I actually admitted that I said that out loud. And they're like, you did not do the jinx. It's, they said, it's no different than a no-hitter. You don't do that. And I said, I know. <laughs> and I said, that's why I'm telling you all about it. I said, I got to own it. And so, uh, then, and so then they poured it on because Greg James, this is before you walked out. They were really laying it to me, RJ. They said, Greg, you're the reason why Cam didn't get a hit today either. He said, you wore the wrong shirt. It was, it just started pouring on. Everything was my fault yesterday. So uh, I, he, he said he's going to start giving away my tickets. I might not, you know, even, might not see me again. You know, <laughs> RJ, dude, it, and it was the exact opposite. The same people that are saying this, we're telling him he had to come back to Omaha because he was just playing so well last year. Like he, he had to see the game. So, but but that's part of where I messed up, Daniel. That shirt that they went five and zero in Omaha in, they're three and zero this year, and I didn't wear it yesterday. The it's the in off the bench uh, cowbell shirt. Well, that's just silly. What are you what are, what are you doing, man, man? I had the new maroon polo. I've lost a lot of weight. I I looked good in it, Daniel. I wanted to look fresh. <laughs> So you hear that, RJ? He's not a team player at all. Like he, he's in it for him. This had nothing to do with Mississippi State baseball. This was how did he look in his new polo? I look good. I took a picture of RJ. Put it hey, on the hey, Yeah, yeah. I seen you rocking the the new polo. It look it looked good. But uh, next game, you better have that dang in off the bench podcast shirt on. <laughs> I I got you. If Greg still got my tickets, he's talking about giving them away now. So he actually told me I wasn't allowed to come to Fayetteville this weekend. Oh, man. <laughs> but that's where I was going to go with this. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, uh, you know, got a big series coming up. Uh, number two ranked Arkansas in their house. It's a very tough environment to play in. Um, you know, what's the message from the coach? What's the message from, you know, the leaders of the team, which, you know, very well may be you as an upperclassman. You know, what are y'all saying going into this weekend? Yeah, so we actually uh, – we got Memphis tomorrow. So we, we've been actually focused on Memphis for right now. That's right. You got Memphis tomorrow. Don't you do forget you, that. You, you know where they're playing, Daniel? They're playing at Memphis. I no, believe. they play at AutoZone Park, my friend. Well, I mean, in Memphis. I know, but I'm saying they're getting to play in the big – the big. well, and for them, it's about the, the normal about side. About the same, right? yeah. Yeah, but we're we're fired up for, uh, for Memphis right now. But, yeah, a couple of the guys on the team, you know, just talk about how, you know, it's going to be a tough series. I mean, but – at the end of the day, it's the SEC, and man, every every dang series is tough. So, um, we're we're excited. All of us are excited, and we're uh, looking forward to the opportunity to go do something crazy, and uh, we're fired up about it. 
you know that's that's the thing when you when you when you win it all you're those midweek games become a lot harder to win because you become the target everybody wants to beat you they want to prove themselves they want to give you their best so i'm sure you know tomorrow if, if if you guys take care of business and do the little things i'm sure you guys will be in good shape but you know i'm sure coach is well aware and well versed in telling you guys if you don't you, you could easily get beat so yeah um, absolutely hopefully you go in you guys can take care of business set you guys up for you know um a, a good showing this weekend and see you know see what happens but RJ, man, we, we, we've gotten you up to the point of, of, of this week. And, man, before we let you roll, we just want to play a quick little game with you if you're, you're down to play. Yeah, of course. All right, man, it's called This or That. It's a game we play with everybody. It's very simple. Um, I give you two options. All you got to do is choose one option or the other. You can't say both, can't say neither. Be decisive and just choose one. Very All simple. Right. All right, softball question to start. Better food, Florida or Georgia? Florida. Florida or Mississippi? Hmm. Florida. Not even, yeah, that's, that's the answer. Oh, no. I mean, I, man, I, I, you don't, I don't know don't. how they get fed at the dude, man. You better back up. Oh, true, true. I better watch what I say. I mean, I, I know how, how folks get fed in Florida. <laughs> I can't speak for the dude, RJ. I've never been there, but I'm sure they take good care of y'all. I mean, I I know I know what happens if y'all don't win the 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 fall the fall uh, challenge. I know fall I know what series, happens. Yeah. yeah, I know what happens then. Oh, I know it. I know it too. <laughs> were, were you on the winning or losing side? Uh, we lost. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to feed them. Feed the other. Uh. I think I think oh, my favorite humble. story. Yeah, I think my favorite story is still. Uh, we had Josh Hatcher and Cameron James on here together, and uh, they were on the opposite teams. And uh, Josh was on the winning team, and he hit a home run in that game. And he said, as he was rounding second, he told Cam how he wanted his steak done. Uh, <laughs> that's messed up. <laughs> All right, what? What is what is a hot dog? Is it a sandwich? Yes or no? Mm. A hot dog a sandwich? No. No. See, I I can totally agree with that, but somehow this question was posted like, you know, I I what we started the season off with this question, and it was intriguing conversation that we had, and then we posted it on social media, and it took a life of its own. But I'm in the belief that a hot dog is neither – it's not a sandwich. It's its own thing. But I got to tell you, RJ, wow. I went to Minute Maid Park for the Shriners Classic, and they have a hot dog sandwich, and it was amazing. So I have completely went the other way. I'm against Daniel now. It is. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it's, it's no, no such thing. No such thing exists. He, I think he, he made this in, I in sent the, you the, picture. the, the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> All right, RJ, who has better bombs? Callum Clark or Hunter Hines? Ooh. No dang. softball question here. They'll put me on the dang spot. Well, Callum, I right. love him, so I'm going to say Hunter Hines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Be sure to let Callum know. Oh, I'm going to let him know. I'll tell him to watch, listen to him. Please do. All right. Um, would you rather 
be a guy that hits a lot of bombs but strikes out a lot, or would you rather be a guy that hits for average and you just get on base a lot? I'd rather be the guy that hits for average, gets on base a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to hit bombs, but I think, I don't know. For, for what Coach is asking of you guys, is he more of a, you know, take advantage of, of long balls when you got guys on base, or he's just like, get on base anyway, anyhow. Yeah, just, just get on base. Just do your job. You know, if we need to move a runner over by hitting a ground ball to second base, like, by all means, let's, let's get it done. And the bombs just kind of happen, you know. Well, I think Zane, yeah, Zane said that last week. He said when, and this is this speaks to what you said earlier in the episode, when he stopped focusing on hitting home runs and just tried to get hits, the home runs came. Absolutely. So that's usually the way it works. Absolutely. Would you rather be smart? Would you rather be the smartest guy in the room or would you rather be the funniest guy in the room? I would rather be the smartest guy in the room. I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah. All right. Is the glass half full or half empty? And let me let me give you some context to this question. All right. So glass half full people, they're always, you know, no matter how bad things get, they're, they're going to look at it from a positive standpoint. Um, but the glass half empty people are people that thrive under pressure. They need to know, like, they don't have much in their cup and they don't have any choice. Done. So you are a glass half full or a glass half empty guy? Oh, man, I'm a glass half full guy. Uh, I'm an optimist. Um, I try to find the good and the good in all situations. So I'm a, I'm a half full guy. Yeah, it's 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 tough not to be in, in certain circumstances. Obviously, I'm sure there's guys that thrive on pressure, um, but it, it's always nice to to be upbeat, and it's it's. I think it's a lot easier yeah. uh, to stay upbeat than it is to put yourself in a jam-packed pressure situation and know like I got to get out of this or I got to do a job or, you know, I got to make sure that, you know, I get whatever it is that I need to get done, done. Yeah, for sure. Um, next question is, would you rather spend five years in jail or 10 years in a coma? <laughs> five years in jail, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're going you're gonna to lie to my face. You know, I, this whole time, RJ, I was like, man, this guy is so down to earth. He's so honest. And now, now you're going to lie to me. Look, man. there's a lot of guys that come on, on this show, and they say the same thing that you just said. And when, when it comes down to it, man, there's no way. Like, jail is rough. It, yeah. I mean, it is a, like, it's you got to be a special type of person to spend a, a few hours in jail, much less five years. You sure? Five years? Man, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I ain't going to be happy about it, but <laughs> I guess I'm going to pick that. Look, man, I, I'm 37. This is, this is my, my speech to everybody that answers this question. I'm 37. At this point in my life, I know exactly what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I know damn well I am not good at jail. I've never been, and I know that I would not be good in jail. But what I do know 
is I'm great at sleeping and taking naps. So give me that 10 year coma. I'll wake up. I'll figure it out. But I ain't going to jail, bro. This You're good. I'm not. with you, RJ. I'm, going, I'm taking jail. Let's get it. Let's get the five and get it done. Uh, y'all got good points for sure. <laughs> All right. So last question. Would you rather be the first pick in the draft and you have to, the only caveat to that is you got to get rid of all your friends. Or would you rather be the last pick in the draft and keep all your friends? So first pick, lose all your friends. Last pick, keep all your friends. I'll let you know last year the difference between the last pick and the first pick was about $8 million. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm 100% taking the last pick. <laughs> Take I'm taking the last pick, keeping my friends. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna be that type. That type of guy that's for the money or all that good stuff. Mm. We'll see. Well, what, I would. When the first pick's presented to him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, hey, I, I hey. would. I would straight up replace Jim. It's hundred percent replace Jim. No I problem. I know it's easier said than done. I know I'm saying that right now, but like, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's easy to say it when the bag's not in front of you. <laughs> of course it is, yeah. When, when the bag is in front of you and all you got to do is sign your name, it gets real. So hey, You make some new friends, huh? I'm telling you, quick. Quick. And who wouldn't want to be your friend? I mean, come on now. Exactly. RJ, you know, man, this is this has been this has been great, dude. You you got a great story. Um, had a great time, you know, talking to you and, and getting it out of you. Um, you know, Jim, is there anything that you want to plug before we let RJ get off here? Yeah, absolutely. Being that uh RJ is is the guest tonight, you know, the Bell Smith is one of our sponsors. Uh his bells are amazing, they're custom made, but he's got these uh player jersey bells, Daniel, and he's he's got about I don't know, around six of them. Three of them are IOTB guests. You know, you got Logan Tanner, you got Landon Sims, but you can get you an RJ Yeager bell. So uh, check out the Bell Smith. You can check them out on uh, any of the social media platforms. You can go to Maroon and Company and start Bell, uh, all sorts of different other stores. But uh, check it out. Get your RJ Yeager bell. Get your Lotan bell. Get your Landon Sims bell. Get it. Take it to the dude. You know, you take that bell, you turn it upside down, Yeager bombs out of the bell. <laughs> That's how you do it. Just like that, I think I created a new trend for you. Like, I, I can't wait. There you can't go. Wait. Sounds good to me. RJ, anything you want to plug before you get out of here? No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having well, me on. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. So I, I, prepped, I prepped some material for you because I'm going to plug you because <laughs> you deserve it, man. You had a, a, a great start, great season so far, and I expect nothing but the same, you know, moving forward. So – Here's what I'll do for you. Anybody out there that's listening, if you want to know anything about RJ, you can follow him on Instagram at RJ underscore Yeg or follow Mississippi State Baseball on Instagram at HellStateBB. ESPN Plus tomorrow night, Memphis, 6 p.m. Check them out. You got these guys traveling to Fayetteville to take on the number two team, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Friday night, 6.30, SEC Network. Saturday at 6.30, SEC Network Plus. Sunday, 2 p.m., SEC Network Plus. RJ, man, wish you the best. Good luck to you. If there's anything you need, you know, reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to help you, man. Awesome, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, bro. Good luck, and, and 
we're definitely looking forward to y'all, you know, finishing out SEC play and, and, and making your run back to Omaha. Absolutely. Let's do it. That's RJ Yeager, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to plug some sponsors. Then Jim and I, we're going to come back and we're going to talk some more college baseball and get into some college basketball. Tattoos have become more of a normal part of society. And, you know, one of the things that's a common mistake that people do is they just go anywhere, you know, closest place, maybe whatever's convenient. And a lot of times they get a piece of art that stays on them forever that maybe they don't like so much. So let me help you and eliminate that problem. Go see Jeff Flea Watts. Easy Flea Tattoos. You can find him on Facebook or Instagram, and you can find him at 1731 Dancy Boulevard in Horn Lake. Number is 662-280-0763. Have you struggled with weight loss, pain management? Maybe you just lack in energy? I struggled with all these things, and then I got introduced to Truvy, an official sponsor of In Off the Bench. If you download the Truvy app, T-R-U-V-Y, and use the official In Off the Bench code, Easy Money, you can save money and get hooked up today and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. Jim, it's time. We're going to talk a little college basketball. We're going to, you know, end the episode with, you know, college basketball, college baseball talk. But, you know, let's let's lead off with college basketball. Obviously, March Madness was in full effect uh, the past two weeks or obviously some of the best two weeks in, in sports, you know, you know, that we get, um, you know, COVID has kind of put a, a little dampening on the past two seasons. Um, but this season we get the full blown effect of it, you know, starting with, you know, the round of, uh, well, actually the, the, the first four games, which were good. And then leading into, you know, um, a round of 64 broken, you know, moving all the way down to what we have as the final four, man. Obviously, the fun of this is filling out a bracket, picking up sets and seeing how things shake up. And it's it's obviously one of those things where you don't ever think, you know, you know, there's going to be upsets, but you don't know who that special team was going to be. But it looked like this year, St. Peter's, bro, St. Peter's doing their thing, you know, having some big wins, making a run to the, the Elite Eight. Um, you know, obviously ran up against the North Carolina team. I, I, I think it just, they, they ran out of steam. Um, I don't know. You know, looking back on it, what was your impression of St. Peter's and, and, and what did you think about that that magical run up until, you know, the, the Elite Eight? Well, I mean, it started with something great that we all can applaud because um, anybody in our friend group other than Marcus Morris does not like Kentucky. So to take Kentucky out first was glorious. And, uh, you know, most people thought that that was just going to be their game, right? They were just going to get that upset and that was going to be where it ended, but um, not so fast, you know, and, and they kept going. And, you know, it's funny you say St. Peter's, but, you know, I was mentioning with RJ talking about where's Mercer. Like if you were to ask a hundred people what their mascot was, you might find one person because I wouldn't know who the Peacocks were. And so, uh, you know, you look on social media and everything and, um, you know, they were they were that Cinderella team that everybody was was rooting on. They they did not want them to go home. And I will say what's really cool from it is, uh, you know, that coach being able to land the Seton Hall job from from this accomplishment. Uh, that's a cool story that comes from it on top of what the school accomplished. Yeah, I mean, it's I think that's 
the biggest takeaway that you can give for for some of these you know mid-major teams or teams you, you've really never heard of um is that they get a chance to profile themselves and really market themselves um you know their their coach fiery but very soft-spoken you know when when interviewed and i think people can you know appreciate that and it was much different approach than what you would see on a typical sideline um especially when they were playing kentucky because you know john calipari and you know shaheen holloway are, are two totally different you know guys um there are times where you know shaheen is, is yelling and getting you know you know jacked up and he, he he's in the faces of his players but it's it's warranted at certain moments it's not this all the time thing where it might lose its luster like he, he gets more bang for his buck but for the most part like i was impressed by him and the fact where he was just very low-key and like you know very the way i the way I, I would describe it is like he was laser focused on a purpose mm-hmm. um and he knew that winning games was great, but the purpose was much greater than, than just, you know, being there and enjoying the experience. They wanted to win. And so now he gets himself out there. He's able to go back to Seton Hall, and he's now going to be the head coach of Seton Hall. So shout out to him. Um, but I guess where does that leave St. Peter's? I mean, do they, you know, do they fill that, that hole? And do we see St. Peter's turning into maybe what we <laughs> – see Loyola being you know these well that that was actually disappointing because they lost in the first round and you know I know that most people like myself probably pick them just because they're usually like you said a traditional team that finds themselves in the sweet 16 pulling some upsets um you know what would you say is the most disappointing for me it's it's Tennessee right like um obviously you're Memphis fan but like you know, I had Tennessee winning it all. The way they looked in the SEC tournament, the the teams that they beat this year, the resume, um, could you have foreseen them going out in the second round? No, you know, and I, I think, you know, even like to some extent, I think, you know, Baylor was kind of disappointing, you know, losing to Carolina. I mean, in retrospect, looking at it now, that loss to Carolina seems like it wasn't that bad, but in the moment, the one losing, you know, to those guys, it it, it shouldn't have happened. But um, yeah, I think Tennessee's got to be the one that you look back on and go, man, they, they were what we thought to be poised to make a deep run. And they end up just running into a Michigan team, a, a buzzsaw and, Tennessee didn't play well. They didn't shoot well. I mean, other they, than Arkansas, they, the whole SEC didn't play well. That's that's the reality. Yeah, and you know, you're you're you go back and you look. You, you right now the when the, when the tournament started and you start seeing teams, you know, fall out and get beat. You would have thought, well, this is a year where we might see something different. We might see a 10 seed. We might see an 8 seed. We might see a 9 seed. We might even see, hell, like St. Peter's had an opportunity, you know, but we thought you might see, you know, a higher seeded team, you know, work their way into a Final Four. But lo and behold, here we are, and we're sitting here with, if you if you were asked at the beginning of the season who the, the best four teams in college basketball are, you probably had 
you know, varying thoughts, but in some form or fashion, you would have Villanova, Kansas, Duke, and maybe North Carolina in there. Um, and, and here we are. You got Carolina taking on Duke. You got Villanova taking on Kansas. I think for me, that Villanova, Kansas, I think that whoever wins that is the better team. Mm -hmm. But obviously, when you make it to a championship game, things go out the window and you know, the, the, the stakes are higher. How wild is it, man, for Carolina and Duke and that rivalry to have never met in the tournament before? And it's going to be in the Final Four in Coach K's last season. I mean, you'd almost think they scripted this thing. I don't go that far now. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it's – um, you know, when you think about college basketball lineage and history and, like, rivalries and things that are, are – are like sacred to college basketball. This Carolina and Duke rivalry is, is what it's about. Um, and even so much, you know, it, what I think for me, what takes away from this rivalry is the fact that they're playing at a neutral site. Mm -hmm. Like if put them in Cameron indoor and fill it up with half and half of <laughs> Carolina and Duke and just let them go at it. I think that atmosphere is is electric far beyond what you can I don't know, really replicate my guy I, I i got you but it's just different you know it's it's different um yeah no doubt you know, but I, I, mean... I i say that but you know memphis playing gonzaga in portland it, it almost felt as though gonzaga was playing a home game and it was well, loud and it was it was crazy and it, you know so well, i, I can see i can see that. In the i was gonna ask you about that um you know we talk, we're, we're not the biggest silver lining guys, but I mean, um, for Memphis to be that exciting and take that game the, as far as they did and, and had you believing this was really possible. I mean, um, did, obviously there's a bitter taste in your mouth. Uh, Timmy, especially put it in, all, you know, left us all with that bitter taste, but I mean, you haven't been proud of the Tigers and they, they gave us something to be excited about and felt like it was possible. Yeah, it, the the thing is, is you don't you don't meet the expectations during the season that you you really should have. I mean, obviously they put themselves in a position to have to win a game and turn around and play the 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 best seeded team in in the tournament. You know, in the second round, so that's on them. But what I what I would give credit to is the fact that at any moment during the regular season. They could have just rolled over and they didn't. They had they 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 sat at the bottom of the mountain looking up at the top and they said, That's a long fucking way up there, but we can do it. And so they started slowly climbing, chipping away, doing different things, working different different sets, working different people. And before you know it, they're they're almost there looking back and they you know they had a, they had a stumble in the, the conference championship game which you know if, if you win that i don't i don't even know if that does anything. it might be an eight instead of a nine you're still in the same right. game right i don't think it will do a whole lot and i think the committee's still going to ship them out west and put them in the, the i mean they're going to be playing essentially in the same spot that they were but you know to turn around then and come out against boise state have a first half like they did they kind of gave it away which is is typical of a memphis team this year 
Um, but hold on to win. Like there was promise, there was hope, there was just, I mean, I, I felt good about them going into the Gonzaga game. And I, I think, you know, on in off the rails, when we talked about it, I said, you know, there's a couple of things that Memphis has to do to have a chance to win. And, and the, I said, they had to stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. They had to minimize turnovers. They didn't have to be perfect with the ball, but they had to minimize turnovers and they had to run and they had to really stay out of foul trouble. And, and they couldn't, whether you want to say the refs tightened up and kind of forced that well, on. Well, that was that's not, what I was going to say. It was really tight. And being that I didn't see the Arkansas Gonzaga game, I, the message obviously came across in our group text from Randy saying if they would have called the Memphis game the way they did the Arkansas Gonzaga game, it would have been a whole different story. Yeah, and and I think it's easy to to point blame at the referees. I will say I think they need to do better, but. I'm not a referee, nor have I ever ref, so I'm not going to sit here and go, well, why didn't, why can't they do their job right? Like, it should be really easy. I mean, it, it might be, but in the moment, I'm sure there's some difficulty. The, re- the reason I didn't blame the refs in the end is because we couldn't stop one guy from absolutely lighting us up. And that was the thing, you know, giving up that lead, it wasn't your typical Memphis um, – meltdown it wasn't a bunch of turnovers or anything it was just the inability to make stops which is actually something they're usually good at and i mean we should be tipping the cap to drew timmy i just i won't do it yeah i mean, <laughs> I mean nimhard and and drew timmy you know i think nimhard was the guy who really he was the difference maker because without him in the first half that game isn't even close he he was only like Mem- memphis would have been up by 25 points had he not had the first half that he did. You know, then you turn Do you think around. that's solidified? Because I've seen the, the draft board today, and he's number one projected pick. Do you think that performance against a, a guy in Duran who's projected five, like the way he shut him down? Well, I, I yeah, I, I think that's definitely – part of it yeah you can look at that tape and say look at the way he just i mean a guy who's had nothing but dominance in the paint yeah. he, he blocked him what like four times that first half well you're talking about chet holmgren oh and, that's what yeah I said. my bad my bad you're yeah. talking about the dude who was dropping the threes yeah i mean chet holmgren i i don't think did a whole lot other i don't think he did a whole lot offensively in in the game to warrant him being you know highly touted highly you know you know, big time, you know, draft lottery guy, but defensively he did. Yeah. My bad. You're talking about number three who was hitting all the threes. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's hitting threes and putting them and keeping them close. Yeah. He was pulling up like it was Steph Curry. Like he was feeling himself. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we didn't do any favors. We gave him some open shots, but one of the things that I noticed is, you know, Memphis for the first time all season got called for, you know, screen violations that I'd never seen them called on in the, the entire year. I think they got called for two or three in the game. And I felt as though Gonzaga was doing the same thing, but there was no call. So I don't know if it's just my perception or they really weren't, you know, getting, you know, they, they really weren't calling it on them. So. So let me ask you this, man, you talk about these blue buds. You're not exactly excited. Who you said you know you're leaning towards the Villanova Kansas who are the winner of that? 
Make your prediction, man. Who is it? I just uh, – I'm going to go Villanova. I just can't get behind Bill Self. I cannot get behind mm-hmm. Kansas. I, I'm probably still still traumatized from 2008, which, okay, whatever. Um, and I, I just – I cannot get on board with this last dance thing for Coach K. And I just don't think Carolina – I mean – I don't think I don't, I don't think the Duke's the best team, but I'm going to get on board for the last dance thing. I just think it's going to be one of those things that happens Cinderella story style. I think Duke's going to find a way somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I hope it's Villanova. If they play Duke, then great. Then I'd like to see Jay Wright beat Coach K, and that would be a a great ending to Coach K's tenure at Duke. Um. But, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see. We've got some games that we'll see this weekend and then obviously culminating with the national championship uh, a week from today. Absolutely. So, man, let's, uh, let's transition. Let's talk college baseball. You have had the opportunity now to – I mean, basically every weekend you're, you're, you're like a jet setter, dude. I feel like you're in a, a, a different park every week. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the start of the season, where you've been, what you've seen, and, and let's let's really like talk, you know, in depth about who is the best team in the country and where do you see, you know, the best teams, you know, finishing as obviously we're we're talking a lot of SEC. Most of our guests are SEC guys and you know they're obviously the best conference in the country, but you know, you know, is there anybody else out there that's that's worthy of the opportunity of winning a national championship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it starts, you know, obviously as a season ticket holder in um, Oxford, you know, I started the first two games of the season and went there and saw the offense put up prolific numbers and then went out to Starkville and, um, you know, watched them. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss, the the question was going to be what happened when they played somebody because their pitching was questionable. We knew they had a lineup. Well, even more so, um, you know, their lineup had some injuries in it. So it was going to be tough. They were really going to have to, to figure out a way. And so, um, you know, I go to that Shriners classic in Houston. Um, I see, I see Tennessee and they do slip up to Texas, but the pitcher just was really on point that day. Um, but they absolutely manhandled Oklahoma and Baylor. And so Tennessee seemed legit. And then you've seen what they did in the rest of their games. They're putting up 20 plus runs. It's just, it's amazing. Chase Burns, the freshman, is amazing. Dollander's amazing. Beam's amazing. These guys aren't losing. So here we go. We 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 come up. I go to Swayze Friday and Saturday. Um, Ole Miss is holding the number one ranking, but per our discussion on off the rails, you know, we all seem to unanimously believe Tennessee was the best team. And boy, Daniel, did they ever show it? Um, because it wasn't just that they put the runs up on that pitching. We we could see that coming from a mile away. It was the way their pitching manhandled that lineup for uh, for Burns and Dollinger to only give up three hits combined between the two of them in their two outings on Friday and Saturday and just absolutely run through that lineup. Um, they made it look easy. And so for me, um, when you look at what they did in uh, Houston, when you look at what they've done to, you know, even the lesser opponents, I mean, yeah, you beat lesser opponents. They beat them like 29 to one. They like, they, they make it a point. And then you go into Swayze for a sellout crowd for three straight days 
and uh, absolutely uh, take them to the woodshed. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind it's it's Tennessee, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, even in game three, like, you felt as though Tennessee, like, at no point did you feel like Ole Miss was going to win the game. Well, especially because they had Blade Tidwell warming up because he's back, and that's what's to make it worse for everybody. Their actual ace is now back. And it's, it, you know, Tennessee, it, it's one thing, you know, to – trot guys out on the mound and, and give up, you know, six hits in, in two in two games. Like that's that's setting yourself up for success. But by no means did you think they were going to go out there and just pound Ole Miss the way that they did. You knew they were going to put up runs because they've been putting up runs, but you didn't think they were just going to goose egg them and, 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 and leave them like in the dust. But, you know, shout out to Tennessee, man. Like, Vitello's got got the recipe, and whatever he's cooking there is is working. Look, I watched him, Daniel, and, and to see it in person, it was so cool. I, I mean, I paid a little bit of attention in um, Houston, but there's a lot going on um, in Swayze. I was completely dialed in. Watching him, he's walking and talking with players individually the whole time. He's out there hitting balls to his outfielders. He's he's the one throwing BP. He's everywhere with his players and then i'm talking to the parents of the of the players and they say he messages them throughout the week to check on their mental health status see where they're at talk to them about anything they need to talk about um he is the definition of a player's coach and man talk about a guy that you you know we always talk about the swagger and everything but put that aside man he is just a guy you want to play for he is a leader of men yeah i mean you see it, you know, on social media. It's it's almost though that this guy has this this uh, persona of like the cool guy. Like I want to be a part of the cool the cool kids, and like Tennessee baseball is the cool kids. Um, but yeah, whatever whatever he is doing, you know, philosophically, you know, strategically. Um, when it comes to, you know, strategy and, and, and lineups, like it's all working. They're all like in unison. It's like a, a well-oiled machine. Um, do you think they can, you know, obviously they're crushing the baseball, but do you think that trend continues or do you think they hit a lull at some point? And um, if, they, if they do, when does that happen? I don't, I don't think they hit a lull just because, like I said, they're getting Blade back and then they get Seth back. You know, Howerson, both were guests of the show um, the next week, um, you know, and they got Vandy this week. And so and some would say, you know, it's Vanderbilt. I mean, here, here's the thing. When you look at when you look at things as a whole. So South Carolina took two from Texas and then they took two from Vandy and then Tennessee took South Carolina to the woodshed. And so it's like we, we we told Will Sanders they were going to start figuring it out, and, and lo and behold, here here they are. They're starting to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, came out and won an, another big series. And so when you look at what Tennessee did to South Carolina and what South Carolina did to those teams, and then you look at what Tennessee just did to Ole Miss, there's nothing that makes me think that you know Vanderbilt, even with that name, has anything. Um, and and the, and the way that they've been giving up runs and the way Tennessee hits. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to keep going. So the question was asked to me, and I'll ask this to you because it was asked to me. Um, 
can Tennessee be the Arkansas of last year and in the sense of be dominant all season but then come up short? I answered with that's always possible. This it's sports, anything's possible. In baseball, it's definitely you can be humble anytime. But I feel like when you have if they stay healthy, batting lineup aside, when you have five arms, I'm gonna find it really hard because even if you had a guy or two fall off, it still leaves you with three dudes. You know, the biggest thing is, is it's baseball. And it's, it's very hard. Baseball is a game of failure. Obviously, we know that. And consistency is key. But in the game where there are constant changes and strategies on trying to beat you, it's very hard to, you know, to win, to win it all. Let's put but, it that but way. think about what happened to Arkansas last year. They end up having to go to cops to be your starter for game three. And that's what I mean with this depth of pitching. You even look at Vandy last year having to do basically a bullpen game in the College World Series. You know, like Tennessee is looking at is you know, as long as they stay healthy, I mean, an array of pitchers and options. And so I just don't. I don't see them getting jammed up like you've seen some of those teams or the Arkansas of last year on top of the lineup they have. And it's not even just nine dudes, Daniel. Their first three or four guys off the bench are obliterating the ball too. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, I mean, the, you ride that wave as long as you can. You're getting guys coming back that are hopefully, you know, healthy and can work their way into 100%. And I mean, I, I don't see them – I don't think their trouble comes in SEC play. I think it comes past that. And really, it it's not so much the fact that, you know, it, there's not going to be any question that they'll be a top team in the country and have the opportunity to win it all. But I think what it comes down to is they're looking, you know, once they get to regionals, they're looking to replicate and get back to Omaha. And there's, believe it or not, you know, Tony Tony V gets gets a little extra coin last season to this season. The players had a taste of Omaha last year. The expectations ratchet up. You win the SEC or you finish towards the top. You host a regional. The pressure just mounts a little heavier, and it's a little different for them because they were there last year to try to do it again. So what I would see happening, you know, in, in a – in the scenario that we're, we're talking about is they cru- not cruise, but they, they go through sec play just like Arkansas did. They ha- have a, have a good season. They may or may not win sec tournament. Um, then they get into postseason play and the pressure mounts. Um, yeah. Well, what I want to see, and since you, you know, we talk about Arkansas, um, you know, they're holding the number two spot, you know, 18 and four. Um, haven't really faced just a ton of competition. Um, one of the the better teams that are maybe the best team they've played on their schedule was Stanford, and they and they took a loss there. But um, nonetheless, they, they've taken their first two series in the SEC, done what they needed to do. Um, as we talked about with RJ, you know, they're hosting Mississippi State this weekend. Obviously, uh, the dogs are going to bring the fight to them, but um, – I mean, they've done what they needed to do. They look pretty good. I'll be interested to see, um, you know, how this weekend goes to really tell 
me where they're at, but they do deserve that number two spot. And hey, man, it's not to hype up one of our two-time guests, dude, Brady Tiger. You you can go to Twitter and check it out, man. Pitching Ninja, everybody's all over this kid. Hey, we knew he was special, and I told you about those high school games, but to see him do it in the SEC stage, to see him with five saves and a win and a curveball that's just freezing guys left and right, it, it's something special. Yeah, I mean, it it helps that he's 6'12", <laughs> 250 Every pounds. Every time I see him, he's taller. He's no doubt. That's why I said he's like seven feet tall, but like, could you imagine, you know, standing in the box, looking up, and that guy's on the mound? I mean, he's throwing 96 miles an hour. He's got a, a breaking ball that comes in 20, you know, 16, 20 mile an hour slower. It has hard hard break. It has soft break. It has loopy break. You know, it's it's just a different, you know. We, we talk about Landon Sims last year being electric. And, you know, with Brady, Brady – I don't think he's the same level of electric that Landon is, but I think he's a menacing, like tough pitcher to, to get hits off of. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a guy that's fun to face. No. Um, he's like, uh, like, um, trying to think who to equate it to, you know, he, he's, He's almost like a Roldis Chapman who, like, you know, on the surface, you know what you're going to get with him. It's not going to be, like, this electric personality, per se, but he's going to, like, I guess, a be- I-, I tell you what, a better scenario is Randy Johnson. Mm. You know that when you get in the box and Ran- Randy Jay's on the mound, it's not going to be a fun time. It's going to be hard. It's, it's, you're going to see a lot of arm angles. You're going to see, you know, pitches coming in, up, movement, breaking, you know, just it, it's, it's not a fun time. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, and I, I think Brady's very similar to that. Um, he's going he's gonna to give you a lot of different looks, a lot of different, you know, angles of baseball, and it's just tough to hit. Yeah, no doubt. And the and the other team I want to talk about, and then we'll talk about a few non-SEC teams. Um, obviously LSU, you know. Um, so they they looked bad against Texas A&M last week, and people went ahead and started to write them off because they lost that series, the only one one of three. And then they went ahead and lost a midweek game to Louisiana Tech. And so I mean everybody's jumping off the ship. And then what do they do? They go into number nine, uh, Florida, into Gainesville, and um, they take two or three, and it's not just the way – or it's not just they took three, two of three. It's the way they did it, and it's what I've been telling you. It's the reason why I think LSU has a shot. Um, they got as good a lineup, you know, as, as Tennessee and Ole Miss. They can compete up there. They don't have the pitch in this Tennessee, but they can put up runs. And so um, they had a strong bounce-back uh, weekend. And, you know, with that, I will talk about the team on the other side. You know, Daniel, two years in a row – They've really ranked Florida high last year as they pre-ranked them number one. Um, they keep not meeting expectations. What's this love affair with with them always putting Florida up there and then underperforming? I mean, the same thing, same reason they put Florida State up there and Florida State underperformed. Um, I just think they're the – when you look at 
recruiting classes and where players come from. They put Florida on a pedestal higher than some, and by default, Florida State and Florida get get put up there. Whether it's warranted or not, I don't know. I mean, it helps when you when you've won before, um, like Florida, but like for Florida State to even be in the conversation, you know, give me a break. Like, yeah. Well, since you since you went there, that's that's the biggest series this weekend. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with SEC. You got Notre Dame, uh, number sixteen, coming into Florida State, number five uh, per D one's ranking. Um, that that one's gonna be an intriguing one. Um, you know, I got Notre Dame in my Omaha eight. I think uh, they're they're a really good team. They've they've had a couple of losses. Um, you know, they shouldn't have had. Um, their records are actually uh, better than Florida State, ironically, but. Um, We'll find out if Florida State's for real. Um, obviously, I'm going to take Notre Dame in that series. And then um, a team that you won't be surprised by, man, 22-2, and two, Virginia, bro. They look just like they did last year. Don't look like they skipped a beat. Sneaky sneaky good, man. Sneaky good. They, I don't know if you get, you get bamboozled by SEC and you don't really focus so much on ACC. I mean, and that's – I think that's the truth because I mean, Georgia. And even the Big Twelve takes a lot of attention. Yeah, I mean, you're in the ACC. You look at Georgia Tech, NC State, and Virginia are three teams that fly under the radar. But I think it's because when you are in the ACC, you get overshadowed by the SEC very quickly. Um, But yeah, I um, I think Virginia is a dynamite team, dude. They they do. They can hit gap to gap. They got arms for days that, you know, they can throw, you know, 10 guys at you and and not miss a beat. And they can hit bombs when needed, but those dudes can flat play. Yeah. Well, I'll end on this because we could talk college baseball night, but you know what team made the biggest jump in the standings? DBU, baby. Absolutely. They went from the, not- the DBU. They went from not ranked to number 19. Um, huge weekend for them. And, um, you know, Elijah came on here and said that, you know, they had some things to work out, but he felt like they were going to find their stride. And um, big weekend for them. And um, I expect them to keep on trucking their team that, that we said was going to, you know, be a team to reckon with. And um, like you said, they just had to get it on track. Let me see. They got a they got an easy one in uh, Wolford. Well, it'll be interesting. They're playing uh, Louisiana Tech um, in their their midweek game. Obviously, like I said, they took LSU last week, so um, not one to take lightly. They do got some some tougher opponents coming up down the road with TCU, Oklahoma, but um, Oklahoma State. But they got some easy series in there. I expect DBU to continue to cruise, climb climb the charts, represent you well with those initials, and then. Um, you know, lastly, I'll mention Texas Tech taking the series from Texas. I think Texas is um, being exposed left and right. Um, I'll be interested to see if they get the ship righted or if Texas Tech is the team that's going to be the representative I, from the Big 12. I think Texas Tech is one of the best teams in the country. Absolutely. I mean, I got to watch them go against um, Mississippi State. They split their little series. They did uh, – where they played that at? It was some, it was, man. I don't even know where it was, but uh, it was it was in a minor league park. Um, anyway, they split that series. It's a real good team, but yeah, they uh, they look good. But 
it's going to be fun, man. You know, baseball is a long season. You know, it's so early. A lot of these teams, you know, only a couple of weeks into conference play, but we'll see how it all pans out. But right now, to answer the original question, man, it's Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. I'm sure there's there's UT fans out there that are in full agreement of that, but I don't know where you'll be. Um, I'll be moving this weekend. From- I actually I actually yeah. have to miss a weekend, bro. Well, it's probably a good thing. There's a lot of heat on you these days, so you might need a, a weekend to, to. I mean, they they fly flipped under it, the radar. They flipped it on me. They both tried to get me to come to Arkansas, but wear the opposite apparel. That way, I jinx that specific team. So um, that that's how I'm looked at now. I'm now that guy, right? But <laughs> last year, you were the good luck charm, and. My my my! How the 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 tables have turned. You are now the the sole reason why people are losing games and, and teams are losing games. It's unbelievable. Hey, you like, won't be surprised uh, what my wife said, right? Though she goes, "Don't don't even get." She told them, "She goes, don't even give him that because Jim already thinks the world revolves around himself. Don't don't let him think that he decides the outcomes of these games." Very true. Very true. That's that's that is a great point, man. All right. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Oh, man, it's a great episode. And, uh, man, looking forward to a little change of pace next week, actually. Yeah. It's going to, it's, 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 I, I don't envy you by having to move by any means, but at least, you know, you can get your seven TV screens and computers mm-hmm. hooked up and, you know, turn on the ESPN Plus and get whatever game you want, SEC Network, whatever it is. And, 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 and Keep me up to date. Keep me posted. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, let's get out of here. Another another great episode. Great, you know, story from RJ Yeager. Um, dude, I, Jim, I don't know about you, but like, it is awesome to have these guys on that. And and I don't know. Maybe it's just just we're just getting lucky, but we're getting our guests coming on, and they're coming on right after they have these monster days and, and, and monster weeks so i don't know it's good catching up with rj it was good getting his story but if you like hearing rj's story or you just want to hear us average joe's talk x's and o's please like and share the podcast on facebook retweet us on twitter listen and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify and anchor as always your comments ratings and feedback is always welcome we're going to see everyone next week for episode 13 we're flipping the script on everybody we're going to talk mississippi state athletics but we're bringing the ladies back. We got Mississippi State softball star Briley St. Clair joining us. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.